0: Section 12 of Starlight Ranch and Other Stories of Army Life on the Frontier by Charles King. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story 3. From the Point to the Plains. Chapter 3. Amontium Ire. Lovely as is West Point in May, it is hardly the best time for a visit there if one's object be to see the cadets. From the early morn until late at night, every hour is taken up with duties, academic or military. Mothers, sisters, and sweethearts, whose eyes so eagerly follow the evolutions of the gray ranks, can only hope for a few words between drill and dress parade, or else in the shortest half-hour in all the world, that which intervenes twixt supper and evening call to quarters that Miss Nanny McKay should make frequent and unfavorable comment on this state of affairs goes without saying. Yet, had she been enabled to see her beloved brother but once a month, and her cadet friends at intervals almost as rare, that incomprehensible young damsel would have preferred the point to any other place in the world. It was now ten days since her arrival, and she had had perhaps three chats with Willie, who luckily for him, though he could not realize it, was spending most of his time confined to quarters, and consequently out of much of the temptation he would otherwise have been in. Mrs. Mackay had been able to see very little more of the young man, but she had the prayerful consolation that if he could only be kept out of mischief a few days longer, he would then be through with it all, out of danger of dismissal, actually graduated, and once more her own boy to monopolize as she chose. It takes most mothers a long, long time to become reconciled to the complete usurpation of all their former rights by this new parent whom their boys are bound to serve, this anything but alma mater, the war school of the nation. As for Miss Nan, though she made it a point to declaim vigorously at the fates that prevented her seeing more of her brother, it was wonderful how well she looked, and in what blithe spirits she spent her days. Regularly, as the sun came round, before guard mount in the morning and right after supper in the evening, she was sure to be on the south piazza of the old hotel, and when presently the cadet uniforms began to appear at the hedge, she and others would go tripping lightly down the path to meet the wearers, and then would follow the half-hour's walk and chat in which she found such infinite delight. So, too, could Mr. Stanley, had he been able to appear as her escort on all occasions, but, despite his strong personal inclination and effort, this was by no means the case. The little lady was singularly impartial in the distribution of her time, and only by being first applicant had he secured to himself the one long afternoon that had yet been vouchsafed them the cadet half-holiday of saturday but if miss nan found time hanging heavily on her hands at other hours of the day there was one young lady at the hotel who did not a young lady whom by this time she regarded with constantly deepening interest miriam stanley other girls younger girls who had found their ideals in the cadet gray were compelled to spend hours of the twenty-four in waiting for the too brief half-hour in which it was possible to meet them but miss stanley was very differently situated it was her first visit to the point she met and was glad to meet all philip's friends and comrades But it was plainly to be seen, said all the girls at Craney's, that between her and the tall cavalry officer, whom they best knew through cadet descriptions, there existed what they termed an understanding, if not an engagement. Every day, when not prevented by duties, Mr. Lee would come stalking up from barracks, and presently away they would stroll together, a singularly handsome pair, as every one admitted. One morning, soon after the Stanleys' arrival, he appeared in saddle on his stylish bay, accompanied by an orderly leading another horse, side saddled. And then, as by common impulse, all the girls promenading the piazzas, as was their wont, with arms entwined each other's waists, came flocking about the south steps. When Miss Stanley appeared in her riding habit and was quickly swung up into saddle by her cavalier, and then, with a bright nod and smile for the entire group, she gathered the reins in her practised hand and rode briskly away. The sentiments of the fair spectators were best expressed, perhaps, in the remark of Miss McKay. What a shame it is that the cadets can't ride! I mean, can't ride that way, she explained, with suggestive nod of her curly head, towards the pair just trotting out upon the road around the plain. They ride, lots of them, better than most of the officers. Mr. Stanley, for instance, suggests a mischievous little minx with hazel eyes and laughter-loving mouth. Uh, Yes, Mr. Stanley, or Mr. Pinnock, or Mr. Burton, or a dozen others I could name, not excepting my brother, answers Miss Nan, stoutly, although those readily flushing cheeks of hers promptly throw out their signals of perturbation fancy mr lee vaulting over his horse at the gallop as they do and yet mr lee has taught them so much more than other instructors several cadets have told me so he always does first everything he requires them to do so he must be able to make that vault will doesn't say so by any means retorts nanny with something very like a pout and as will is a prime favorite with the entire party and the center of a wide circle of interest, sympathy, and anxiety in those girlish hearts, their loyalty is proof against opinions that may not coincide with his. Miss Mischief reads temporary defeat in the circle of bright faces, and is stung to new effort. Well, there are cadets whose opinions you value quite as much as you do your brother's, Nanny, and they have told me— who challenges miss nan yet with averted face thrice of late she has disagreed with mr stanley about Willie's troubles has said things to him which she wishes she had left unsaid and for two days now he has not sought her side as heretofore though she knows he has been at the hotel to see his sister and a little bird has told her he had a long talk with this same hazel-eyed girl She wants to know more about it, yet does not want to ask. "'Phil Stanley, for one,' is the not-unexpected answer. "'Somebody who appears to know all about it has written that when a girl is beginning to feel deep interest in a man, she will say things decidedly detrimental to his character, solely for the purpose of having them denied, and for the pleasure of hearing him defended.' Is it this that prompts Miss McKay to retort, Mr. Stanley cares too little what his classmates think, and too much of what Mr. Lee may say or do? Mr. Stanley isn't the only one who thinks a deal of Lieutenant Lee, is the spirited answer. Mr. Burton says he is the most popular tactical officer here, and many a cadet, good friends of your brother's nanny, has said the same thing. "'You don't like him because Will doesn't.' "'I wouldn't like or respect any officer who reports cadets on suspicion,' is the stout reply. "'If he did that to anyone else, I would despise it as much as I do because Willie is the victim.' The discussion is waxing hot. Miss Mischief's blood is up. She likes Phil Stanley. She likes Mr. Lee.' She has hosts of friends in the Corps, and she is just as loyal and quite as pronounced in her views as her little adversary. They are fond of each other, too, and were great chums all through the previous summer, but there is danger of a quarrel to-day. I don't think you are just in that matter at all, Nanny. I have heard cadets say that if they had been in Mr. Lee's place, or on Officer of the Day duty, They would have had to give Will that report you take so much to heart. Everybody knows his voice. Half the Corps heard him call out to Mr. Pennock. "'I don't believe a single cadet who's a friend of Will's would say such a thing,' bursts in Miss Nan, her eyes blazing. "'He is a friend and a warm friend, too.' "'You said there were several, Kitty, and I don't believe it possible.' "'Well, there were two or three. If you don't believe it, you can ask Mr. Stanley. He said it, and the others agreed. Fancy the mood in which she meets him this particular evening when his card was brought to her door. Twice has Miss Mischief essayed to enter the room and make up. Conscience has been telling her savagely that in the impulse and sting of the moment she has given an unfair coloring to the whole matter. Mr. Stanley had volunteered no such remark as that she so vehemently quoted. Asked point-blank whether he considered as given on suspicion the report which Mrs. McKay and Nanny so resented, he replied that he did not, and when further pressed he said that Will alone was blamable in the matter. Mr. Lee had no alternative. If it was Mr. Lee who gave the report, and any other officer would have been compelled to do the same. All this Miss mischief would gladly have explained to Nanny, could she have gained admission, but the latter had a splitting headache and begged to be excused. It had been such a lovely afternoon. The halls were filled with cadets on permit when she came out from the dining-room, but nothing but ill-luck seemed to attend her the young gentleman who had invited her to walk to fort putnam most provokingly twisted an ankle at cavalry drill that very morning and was sent to hospital now if mr stanley were all devotion he would promptly tender his services as substitute then she could take him to task and punish him for his disloyalty to will but mr stanley was not to be seen gone off with another girl was the announcement made to her by mr werrick a youth who dearly loved a joke and who saw no need of explaining that the other girl was his own sister sorely disappointed yet hardly knowing why she accepted her mother's invitation to go with her to the barracks where will was promenading the area on what mr werrick called one of his perennial punishment tours she went of course but the distant sight of poor will duly equipped as a sentry dismally tramping up and down the asphalt added fuel to the inward fire that consumed her the mother's heart too yearned over her boy a victim to cruel regulations and crueler taskmasters What was the use of the government's enticing young men away from their comfortable homes, Mrs. McKay had once indignantly written, unless it could make them happy? It was a question the tactical department could not answer, but it thought volumes. But now evening had come, and with it Mr. Stanley's card. Nan's heart gave a bound, but she went downstairs with due deliberation. She had his card in her hand as she reached the hall, and was twisting it in her fingers. Yes, there he stood on the north piazza, Pinnock with him, and one or two others of the graduating class. They were chatting laughingly with Miss Stanley, Miss Mischief, a bevy of girls, and a matron or two, but she knew well his eyes would be on watch for her. They were. He saw her instantly, bowed smiled, but, to her surprise, continued his conversation with the lady seated near the door. What could it mean? Irresolute she stood there a moment, waiting for him to come forward, but though she saw that twice his eyes sought hers, he was still bending courteously and listening to the voluble words of the somewhat elderly dame who claimed his attention nan began to rebel against that woman from the bottom of her heart what was she to do here was his card in response she had come down to receive him she meant to be very cool from the first moment to provoke him to inquiry as to the cause of such unusual conduct and then to upbraid him for his disloyalty to her brother she certainly meant that he should feel the weight of her displeasure But then, then, after he had been made to suffer, if he was properly contrite, and said so, and looked it, and begged to be forgiven, why then perhaps she might be brought to condone it in a measure, and be good friends again. It was clearly his duty, however, to come and greet her, not hers to go to the laughing group. The old lady was the only one among them whom she did not know—a new arrival. Just then Miss Stanley looked round, saw her, and signalled smilingly to her to come and join them. Slowly she walked towards the little party, still twirling the card in her taper fingers. "'Looking for anybody, Nan?' blithely hails Miss Mischief. "'Who is it? I see you have his card.' for once nanny's voice fails her and she knows not what to say before she can frame an answer there is a rustle of skirts and a light footfall behind her and she hears the voice of a girl whom she never has liked one bit oh you're here are you mr stanley why i've been waiting at least a quarter of an hour did you send up your card i did full ten minutes ago was it not brought to your room no indeed i've been sitting there writing and only came down because i had promised mr Farron that he should have ten minutes and it is nearly his time now where do you suppose they could have sent it poor little nan it has been a hard day for her but this is just too much she turns quickly and hardly knowing whither she goes Dodges past the party of cadets and girls now blocking the stairway and preventing flight to her room, hurries out the south door and around to the west piazza, and there, leaning against a pillar, is striving to hide her blazing cheeks, all in less than a minute. Stanley sees through the entire situation with the quick intuition of a lover. She has not treated him kindly of late. She has been capricious and unjust on several occasions, but there is no time to think of that now. She is in distress, and that is more than enough for him. Here comes Mr. Fern himself to claim his walk, so I will go and find out about the card, he says, and blesses that little rat of a bell-boy as he hastens away. Out on the piazza he finds her alone, yet with half a dozen people hovering nigh. The hush of twilight is over the beautiful old point. The moist breath of the coming night, cool and sweet, floats down upon them from the deep gorges on the rugged flank of crow-nest, and rises from the thickly-lacing branches of the cedars on the river-bank below. A flawless mirror in its grand and reflected framework of cliff and crag and beetling precipice, the Hudson stretches away northward, unruffled by the faintest cat's-paw of a breeze. Far beyond the huge black battlements of Storm King, and the purpled scour of Breakneck, the night-lights of the distant city are twinkling through the gathering darkness, and tiny dots of silvery flame, down in the cool depths beneath them, reflect the faint glimmer from the cloudless heaven, where the sentinel stars set their watch in the sky. The hush of the sacred hour has fallen on every lip save those of the merry party in the hall, where laugh and chatter and flaring gaslight bid defiance to influence such as hold their sway over souls brought face to face with nature in this her loveliest haunt on earth. Phil Stanley's heart is throbbing as he steps quickly to her side. Well indeed she knows his footfall, knows he is coming almost knows why he comes. She is burning with a sense of humiliation, wounded pride, maidenly wrath, and displeasure. All day long everything has gone aglay. Could she but flee to her room and hide her flaming cheeks, and cry her heart out, it would be relief inexpressible. But her retreat is cut off. She cannot escape. She cannot face those keen-eyed watchers in the hallways oh it is almost maddening that she should have been so so fooled every one must know she came down to meet phil stanley when his card was meant for another girl that girl of all others all aflame with indignation as she is she yet means to freeze him if she can only control herself miss nannie he murmurs quick and low i see that a blunder has been made but I don't believe the others saw it. Give me just a few minutes. Come down the walk with me. I cannot talk with you here now, and there is so much I want to say." He bends over her pleadingly, but her eyes are fixed far away up the dark wooded valley, beyond the white shafts of the cemetery, gleaming in the first beams of the rising moon. She makes no reply for a moment. She does not withdraw them when finally she answers impressively, Thank you, Mr. Stanley. But I must be excused from interfering with your engagements. There is no engagement now, he promptly replies, and I greatly want to speak with you. Have you been quite kind to me of late? Have I not a right to know what has brought about the change? Uh, you do not seem to have sought opportunity to inquire very cool and dignified now pardon me three times this week i have asked for a walk and you have had previous engagements she has torn to bits and thrown away the card that was in her hand now she is tugging at the bunch of bell buttons each graven with the monogram of some cadet friend that hangs as usual by its tiny golden chain She wants to say that he has found speedy consolation in the society of that other girl of whom Mr. Warrick spoke, but not for the world would she seem jealous. "'You could have seen me this afternoon, had there been any matters you wish explained,' she says. "'I presume you were more agreeably occupied.' "'I find no delight in formal visits,' he answers quietly but my sister wished to return calls and asked me to show her about the post. Then it was his sister, not that other girl. Still, she must not let him see it makes her glad. She needs a pretext for her wrath. She must make him feel it in some way. This is not at all in accordance with the mental private rehearsals she has been having there is still that direful matter of will's report for shouting from windows of barracks and miss mischief's equally direful report of mr stanley's remarks thereon i thought you were a loyal friend of Willie's," she says turning suddenly upon him i was and am he answers simply and yet i'm told you said it was all his own fault and that you yourself would have given him the report that so nearly found him on demerit a report on suspicion too she adds with scorn in her tone mr stanley is silent a moment you have heard a very unfair account of my words he says at last i have volunteered no opinion on the subject in answer to direct question I have said that it was not justifiable to call that a report on suspicion. But you said you would have given it yourself. I said that, as officer of the day, I would have been compelled to do so. I could not have signed my certificate otherwise." She turns away in speechless indignation. What makes it all well-nigh intolerable is that he is by no means on the defensive he is patient gentle but decidedly superior not at all what she wanted not at all eager to explain argue or implore not at all the tearful penitent she has pictured in her plans she must bring him to a realizing sense of the enormity of his conduct disloyalty to will is treason to her and yet you say you have kept and that you value that knot of blue ribbon that i gave you or that you took last summer i did not suppose that you would so soon prove to be no friend to willie or or what miss nanny he asks his face is growing white but he controls the tremor in his voice she does not see her eyes are downcast and her face averted now but she goes on desperately. Well, never mind that now, but it seems to me that such friendship is simply worthless. She has taken the plunge and said her say, but the last words are spoken with sinking inflection, followed instantly by a sinking heart. He makes no answer whatever. She dares not look up into his face to see the effect of her stab. He stands there, silent only an instant, then raises his cap, turns, and leaves her. Sunday comes and goes without a sight of him except in the line of officers at parade. That night she goes early to her room, and on the bureau finds a little box securely tied, sealed and addressed to her in his well-known hand. It contains a note and some soft object carefully wrapped in tissue paper the note is brief enough it is not easy to part with this for it is all i have that was yours to give but even this must be returned to you after what you said last night miss nanny you may some time think more highly of my friendship for your brother than you do now and then perhaps will realize that you were very unjust Should that time come, I shall be glad to have this again. It was hardly necessary to open the little packet, as she did. She knew well enough it could only contain that knot of ribbon blue. End of Section 12